Jennifer Lillis, and you are listening to Paper Cuts. Paper Cuts is a podcast interviewing DIY publishers, small presses, and zinesters everywhere. <laughs> so, Christopher, who are we talking to today? Hey, Jennifer. We're talking to Leslie Duguid of Duguid Press. Um, in March, right before the pandemic shut everything down, uh, literally like two days before New York City and Brooklyn was was closed and then everywhere else in the East Coast. Um, I met up with Leslie in her studio in Bedside and we talked about her work in screen printing, uh, her history with printmaking and how she sees her practice and what she's gonna be doing in the near future. It was a really fun conversation and I was really happy to be able to see uh, such incredible work before we were not able to see anything in person. Um, also, what's exciting about this is that this is the uh, first episode that is happening, or at least was uh, gathered during the pandemic. Um, so the next few episodes are going to be interviews with artists as they're as they're hunkered down and as they're sheltering in place. Great. Well, I guess without further ado, we should turn the mic over to Leslie Dugan. Hi, this is Leslie Dugan. I'm a printmaker, screen printer specifically, and owner, founder of Dugan Press, and I'm a printmaker at Powerhouse Arts Print Shop. Leslie, thank you so much for inviting me into your space and for sitting down for an interview with me. Um, as we mentioned earlier, this is also really nice for me because we're actually two blocks away from where I used to live, so it's nice to be back in the neighborhood. Um, where where are we, that being said? You know, what neighborhood are we in? We're in Bed-Stuy, and it's the greatest neighborhood I've ever lived in in my life. But it's a really great neighborhood. Everyone's so friendly. Yeah. I have backyard access. You're in my room and studio right now. And so this is super comfortable for me, but I'm really glad to be able to host you in this weird environment. That's my life. It's been great to walk in here because it's going to be hard to really describe this on a podcast, but um, the efficiency that you've crafted into this space, like every single surface is actually two or maybe three things. And that's really pretty incredible to be running an entire uh, print operation also out of your bedroom and you're cramming like three times the studio space into this space. How do you do it? I planned it out pretty well beforehand. <laughs> so I had a space in Greenpoint where I started Do Good Press. My whole shop situation was a way different setup. I had more space, but it was also pretty efficient in that space as well. But transferring something that was already pretty compact into an even more compact space just required me to get all my clothes in the same spot and yeah. kind of build shelves around that. But for the most part, I actually moved in all of my shop stuff first. And so I could use this entire space as a studio. Yeah. And then it took about a week for me to move the rest of it in. But I was finishing client deadline stuff. So I really needed to have my studio be put back together first. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. When you're in like a live work studio space, the studio definitely takes precedence and definitely takes up the most square footage, right? Yes, yeah, you're right. Studios, studios <laughs> takes up a lot more space than my actual living quarters. 
And how long have you been in this space for? I moved in in June. So how many months ago is June? Nine months ago or so? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been mostly getting my studio set up and then living set up and then backyard has been a progressive fixing it situation. But I also have been working on the behind the scenes stuff where it's like, where do you wash out your screens in the wintertime? You know, yeah, I, yeah. I had that set up outside at first. And that works really well for the summertime because chemicals, all that, I don't really want it in my room, obviously, but I also really wanted to have access to it close to where I'm printing, so I needed it to just be right outside the door. But for wintertime, I moved it into this corner. I don't know if you noticed when you came down the stairs. Great. There's there's a shower (laughs) curtain hiding it a little bit. Um, But I rigged up a hose from the basement, basically, where it normally goes outside, I just tapped into it from its source and then ran the same hose from outside inside um, and hooked up a power washer that's connected to the ceiling of the basement. And you are printing primarily with screen printing, right? Do you expand out into other forms of print for this? Never. And it does also allow you to be really inventive with your whole situation. Like printmaking, you can kind of like jerry-rig in any number of different ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've printed album covers, binders. Um, Both of those two projects were more than 100 of each one. So (laughs) in this space, I get really efficient at printing things in, in sets. So I can print up to 25 of one thing in a set. And then I have to let those things dry. Uh, and then I do that a whole thing again. So I, I need my emulsion to be strong enough to be able to wash out a screen and keep going. Yeah. Um, and I need space enough to be able to print at least 25 of something, otherwise it's not quite worth it. But once I have that set up down, especially starting with the rejects to get registration right, then it's easier to leave that set up intact and keep going. But that's what I was showing you with the weight of this actual press being yeah. so heavy. It leaves everything super intact. It's hard to mess it up and, and bump into it to change registration on you if you're in the middle of a run. Uh, but for the most part, I try to start and finish things in a day because I have to go to sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> and you also have several projects running at once. Like you just showed me two different things. I'm showing that's really just like the tip of the iceberg. It is, yes. And right now, actually, I haven't had as many things going on, but... When I don't have as many client projects, I tend to cram it with passion projects that I'm more interested in helping artists, friends that have really interesting studio practices. So in school, I was really good at critiquing people because my dad's a journalist, so he would kind of be harsh on me when I was a kid (laughs) trying to be an artist. Not questioning my motives in being an artist so much as like, what are you going to do to make money? You know, and ask me that kind of same question in a lot of different ways. But that let me have kind of an inquisitive mind about uh, people's different practices and styles and reasons why they're making what they're making. So being able to explore that kind of questioning makes it easier for me to say yes to someone or help someone that is doing something interesting enough that I can see um, hopefully being revenue source for their future practice. But yeah. it's, it's, it's a really like one and done kind of situation. I try to like do a project finish it in a couple months and and then just move on because these little passion projects can take years to finish. Yeah. And you're also working with artists that are not primarily printmakers, right? Yeah. So that questioning process must come in handy. Like that must be such a 
foundational part of how you're working these collaborations. Yeah, and especially as a fellow artist, like I don't want to make my own stuff as much anymore. Yeah. But I can share that kind of conversational reasonings why you're doing what you're doing with other people just in in order to say like, "Oh my god, your color theory is insane. Like what how did you get to that? You know, what yeah. what are you doing here?" And, uh, if you're if you're interested in doing a print that has this in in mind of, of editioning, I would really like to work with you on it. But being able to recognize those things that are somewhat invisible in composition, line, structure, but color especially are mm-hmm. kind of like set back sometimes. Um, but you can enhance those things in different ways. I have a lot of weird examples of that all, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It's again like one of the big reasons why it's incredible to walk in here is also all the artwork that you have up on the wall and things that I. I just assumed were also projects you've been working on, mm. but I didn't. I'm sure that's not completely true. I probably printed 75% of what's on my walls. Oh, cool. So to take a step back, um, I want to know a little bit more about like where you went to school and how you kind of developed this, your, your uh, art knowledge, like your color theory, like your technical chops, because you are developing this whole line of questioning from your family history. And I'm sure that was also strengthened from the critique scenario, but where did all these combine in the education of Leslie? Mm, good question. I used to want to be a meteorologist, so Whoa. that's not super related to the art world, but it does have a questioning of your environment involved yeah, yeah. with it. So especially out of things that scared me, you know, I was very afraid of thunder and lightning. You know, lightning's not so scary, although it is just a flash, so that's exciting to me. Yeah. But... And, you know, big power tools and stuff. Those were scary to me. But if it's, like, someone I trust, like my dad using it, then I can just, like, pretend to be, like, in a rock band on the side while he's, like, using <laughs> a, a drill. Like, nothing that, like, intense, like a saw. Yeah. Um, point of the story is, you know, I went to the Kansas City Art Institute and, and was able to get a good foundational structure there. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was there, I worked as a tour guide and was able to go through all of the different departments and spy on what everybody else was doing yeah because sometimes when you're just focused on partying at night as a you know normal 19 year old (laughs) you don't (laughs) you you forget that all your peers are also in studio when they're not partying yeah Uh, but being able to be a tour guide i can sneak up on them when they're not seeing me uh (laughs) bring a stranger over to be like what are you working on explain it to this person trying to go to school here um, and kind of get all of the, the different knowledge that is normally exclusively showing off for a lot of different parents, you know, trying to get their kids into art school. At that time, were you primarily focused on printmaking? Like, were you a print major? Yeah. By the time I was a tour guide, I was in printmaking. And I knew I wanted to be in printmaking because I met so many cool people that were in printmaking. I didn't. Yeah. I also, my dad was, you know, working at a newspaper and did tours at that space. He's a journalist. He was like a very established journalist, but he knew everything about the Kansas City Star and inside oh, wow. and out. So that made me really, really want to be passionate about my job and, and the things I was doing at the time. So his his passion really transferred down to me and, and what I wanted to do, but I didn't really have that much interest in writing, you know. Yeah. I, would, I would write a paper and throw it away because it was bad, and, and he would like fish it out of the trash and edit it and have me sit with him and, and explain why this is stupid, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, I don't care for this type of thing. I want to be right all of the time. You know? <laughs> Let me have my own practice and medium, and then you don't have to judge me for it when I'm wrong. 
Yeah. Uh, but that kind of got me a good structure on critiques and, and talking about an art form that, that does have certain rules to it. So like I was saying, compositional rules and other things that are somewhat invisible to piece looking good or bad, um, make it easy to identify if you do that all the time. Yeah, and it gives you like such a foundation for this like, rigorous practice that you have. Yeah, but everyone does it so uniquely. Everyone, yeah. nobody can really, I mean, and it is somewhat obvious when people do copy other people's styles and they don't have necessarily full-fledged out answers for why they're doing what they're doing. But, and it's so hard to talk about that kind of thing with artists too, because there's it's oftentimes it's intuitive. You know, you don't really yeah. have the words to describe why you did what you did. I find that that's also a big thing. Like as visual communicators, that linguistic skill, like our vocabulary is developed in a really different way. Right, so I can only imagine that growing up with this family that's dealt, uh, rooted in journalism, that your association with language is also a little bit different than a lot of other visual artists. Yeah, I'm pretty stupid at talking sometimes, <laughs> but I do appreciate passionate people. So having someone who does make something really interesting makes it easier to relate that skill to the visual language that I know. Yeah, Color is its own language when you're trying to dissect what somebody else did. And oh, yeah break it down into layers and see what one color looks like at a time on top of something else so you don't see the trapping and all this other stuff but or do see the trapping there's so many purposeful ways to mess it up in the art world fascinating things with printmaking is that you are building an image through layers exactly and that like step-by-step process i'm sure must be so difficult to communicate with people it is but that's why i was showing you how i work small in order to just show people small proofs Without wasting materials and my own time and, you know, not burning too many screens out of the whole process. I just gang a bunch of images up on one 23 by 31 size screen and then I can uh, mess with it in a way that makes it editable. So I can set that up multiple times in different colorways and show artists how I would think that they might like it best. And it's not me assuming anything about them. It's just me serving them what they're showing. Yeah. And... Together, we have a conversation about the way that they want it to look best that I can achieve. So it it takes a lot of communication, but it really does benefit from communicating in person with the actual piece in front of you. Absolutely. So to take a step back again uh, with undergrad, Mm -hmm. um, in your program was like all these different disciplines really siloed? Like was painting really separate from printmaking so you really had to sneak up on people? Or was there a lot of, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, everybody's in their own little world, you know, as we all still are. Uh, But in the way that the Kansas City Art Institute was and somewhat is still structured, you know, there's different buildings for different mediums. It's not everybody in the same building. Yeah. Um, And because of that, we're all working at the same time and in different ways. So you, you don't really go to other people's studios while they're working unless you want to distract them. It's not really good. But as a tour guide, you just bump in, have a time for 15 minutes, and you leave, you know. Yeah. But it's mostly about talking to the professors and stuff, too. So that made it interesting to understand why the students should want to go to the Kansas City Art Institute and the specialized learning and all the small attention because it's a little school. But you get you do get a lot more attention from the professors that way. Yeah. Attention being good and bad if you're a bad liberal arts uh, student like I was. But <laughs> I tried my best at the time. And when did you graduate? I graduated in 2009, right after the economy crashed. Great time to be going back out into the world. (laughs) Starting to go out of the world. I didn't really have a for real job before that. 
Did you stick around Kansas City? Uh, did I? I did a little tiny bit, but before going in, like, I didn't want to stay in Kansas City. Like, I, mm-hmm. I liked being from there, but I really wanted to go to Pratt and Parsons. Yeah. I was accepted to Pratt and, and even uh, SAIC in, in Chicago, but I couldn't afford them on my own. And my dad was like, if, if you're going to take a risk of going to art school, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll swing it to, to afford it for you to go to Kansas City Art Institute and stay put, you know, do a pre-college program, get some discounts, like you yeah, good yeah. grades, all that. But he wouldn't let me. I mean, I could have gone to, to schools in New York and Chicago, but it's just too exp- it was just too expensive. He didn't want to front that. And he said, if you want to go out there, you do it on your own. Go get a job, like pay for it by yourself, which is what a lot of people do, of course. But oh, yeah. Being a good girl, I did what he said and stayed in Kansas City. I, I got the message. But what was the question? I'm sorry, I lost it. Um, so after, after mm. you graduated, how long did you stick around in Kansas City before you moved elsewhere? You know, not long, because one of my friends in school, Dan Crane, is a friend from Omaha, Nebraska. And he would get so homesick about Nebraska that I just didn't have any compassion for whatsoever. <laughs> I was you're here now. It's not that great. It's fine. Just deal with it and move on. Yeah. Anyway, he had a friend visiting, uh, also from Omaha, and I fell in love with them. We started dating, long distance, and eventually, you know, I made the trips to Omaha to go visit him. And there's no jobs to get in Kansas City also at the yeah. time. So I, I ended up moving out there to work at the Bemis Center, do an internship for free, and uh, see what I could get job-wise. But I ended up working in a deli diner thing for a few months or years. I don't know. Time didn't move that fast. <laughs> and then I started working at Urban Outfitters and stayed there for four years until I could transfer to New York. Yeah. But I was dating Bill at the time. He was great. Yeah. Did Bill move out to New York with you? Or was that like no, after he's, the... he's a diehard Omaha. Oh, okay. He's from there. He's going to stay there. <laughs> so then what brought you out to New York? I really didn't want to live in Omaha. You know, it wasn't yeah. my passion. I liked Bill. He's great. But I really wanted to be around all the, the New York City scene, all the lifestyle here. I was going to different residencies in New York while I was in school. Oh, okay. Uh, there was one through Micah that had dorms at SVA, and mm-hmm. we had studios in Dumbo. It sounds unreal now. Oh, wow. For students to be able to just do that for a month, like, it was really out That's of this really world. That's really incredible. So you did have, like, some, like, footholds in New York before you came out here. Yeah, I met a lot of people that were really fun. Yeah. But I didn't get a lot of studio work done. <laughs> so I would come back every few months, you know, to New York. I feel like so much of the like residency thing or these like short jaunts to places is a real like social exercise as well it's gotta be i mean it's all networking you know you're not gonna get anywhere and a a girl on the train today uh, when i was headed home from from red hook you know so it's a long train ride Mm -hmm. tapped me on the shoulder not literally she just said hey i i do you work at k-rock and i'm like not anymore (laughs) but i think you're talking about me you know yes but no and she said she bought a T-shirt from me in L.A. at the book fair years oh ago. Gosh. And then she's like, "You didn't? I didn't even buy it. You gave it to me for free." You know, <laughs> I just wanted to say hi, thank you. You know. And then Luther's next to me, and he's like, "Here's what Powerhouse is." And it's just like the smallest little world, but it takes like one little karma, nice thing to happen yeah. years ago to make it pay off. That's so amazing for that to circle back around to you. 
Yeah, that was weird, but I'm glad it happened. And then that happens every so often, you know. Yeah. Quarterly. I, I do also feel like New York does show you just how small the world is in, in different ways and like repeatedly. I mean, when you throw out good news, hopefully you'll get some back. But yeah. if you're constantly kind of terrible to everyone, then probably you're not going to get that as much. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it just depends on how nice you are in stressful situations. <laughs> uh, I try to be nice. But also, the first time I was here by myself was in 2008 with the micro program that was abroad. And it was tricky because I really wanted to party. You know, I, I yeah. really wanted to party, meet people, and like go out a lot. Um, so for half the time I was doing studio stuff and the half, half of the other time I was just gone. I was just reckless. But those reckless times are the only reasons why I have, you know, networking opportunities from that basis of people I met way back then. So it's really important to just do what your heart tells you to do. Yeah, and especially in those situations, because you're there for a finite time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if that lays the groundwork for like your next time in, in a city, like that's great. Exactly. That's the only way to... I, I don't travel well, but I, I just don't prepare well is the thing. <laughs> but you know, it's nice to rely on nice strangers. It feels like a Liz Taylor quote, but... <laughs> so when you came back to New York, when did you start working with uh, Prince Studios here? I transferred with Urban Outfitters, mm -hmm. so I have this like retail background of, of mystery that I don't often bring out. I also have a retail background, so I like still carry like I fold things very specifically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and especially in New York stores, they don't have any back stock. Nobody has any space for that kind of thing yeah. to just not live on the floor to sell. But they give you hundreds of boxes every night around Christmas. And what are you going to do with all those gloves? Yeah. Nobody needs them. <laughs> uh, so I, what was the question? I'm sorry. I just got distracted. Oh, yeah. So when did you um, start working with different print shops in, in New York? Yeah. So one of the people I was running around with broke up with me, you know, at the time. And I was heartbroken. And through being heartbroken, also lost my job because I was just crappy at it because it was Valentine's Day and I got ghosted. Oh, shit. And it was in years of dating someone, too. So it was just like, why would you ghost me on Valentine's? I don't even care oh. about the holiday. But anyway, one bad day led yeah. to a change in my whole life. And that ended up being a good thing eventually. But I ended up actually getting internship hired at the whole gallery i really liked so yeah. i just wandered down the street from the east village urban outfitters i was at it was like <laughs> i'm done ah, i gotta get out of here and i went over to or to the whole it was like when do you guys have openings i always miss them like what's going on it's like i don't have an iphone at the or i did at the time but i just couldn't figure it out timing on openings to go and, and network and show yeah. off and rub shoulders and all that i couldn't figure it out so i was like I'm gonna go to the hole. I'm gonna get an internship. Just introduce myself and make some friends. You know, tell them hi. And that worked out great. You know, I, <laughs> I was able to actually go to do a lot of studio visits with artists through getting their stuff. So I'd go on truck runs with this girl Margot, who became a super good friend of mine, still is. That's great. Uh, but none of us are still at the hole. But we have really good you know, times during the openings when friends have shows and all that. So it's it's. A really great place and it all just started with being a fan of the gallery fan of the art yeah um and then showing up when there's something to do but it's not necessarily always glamorous you're painting a floor 
or doing yeah. a truck run at like 8 a.m. Uh, but there's a lot of you know fun things that happen out of that, so it's always worth it to to just try your best at a place that you're passionate about helping. Yeah. And actually, the first show that I helped with at the hole was Jamie Warren, and I still work with her today. But she was an artist that I helped out or knew or or you know knew her through being Kansas City famous. And she had been blossoming in New York, so she had a show at the hole at the time when I was like, hey, I had a job. I know Jamie. I'm from Kansas City. <laughs> and it, then they you know, took me more seriously because of that, so that helped out a lot. That's great. So then you did you go from the hole to K-Rock? Nope. <laughs> All right, I'm just like leapfrogging over like the little bits of your history that I know. <laughs> There's so many like things in between okay so while I was at the hole I wasn't getting paid enough to live you know it wasn't yeah. quite enough to make New York money to, to sustain a living so I also found Craigslist jobs and got one that was with Pamela Barsky and she needed a printer to just print with plastisol like hundreds of these sayings on yeah. canvas swatches and next to the printer there's some sewers and they sew them into zipper bags and she sells them in Chelsea Market and online or something. I don't know what happens after that. But so she needs hundreds of these zipper bags made. And I'm like, I could do the, th the same thing over and over and over and over. Uh, it sounds like a dream job. Like, yeah. oh, let me do that. And it paid pretty well because it was like a tax thing. Like, but um, point of the story is I held that up for a few years and worked at the Gowanus Print Lab, interviewed mm -hmm. there. But every time in between jobs, you know, I'll, I'll interview a ton of different places and some of them will call back. But then the ones that do call back, I just try to keep everything. At, at like, I just try to keep all the jobs. Yeah. Anyway, eventually I wasn't printing contract work at Gowanus anymore, but was still teaching classes and working at Pamela Barsky and doing internship stuff at the whole still. Oh, yes, yeah, so that is all the jobs. But none of them paid enough to live off of. So yeah. I interviewed at K-Rock and got it. Um, and started out just cleaning up plastisol messes. But, you know, you got to start at the bottom in order to learn anything. Yeah. Especially cleaning first. That's kind of the most important job if you're <laughs> doing paperwork and plastisol. Like, those don't mix. Yeah. So you're just going to contaminate each other if you fuck it up. Uh, but, so anyway, working at K-Rock was amazing. And that's how I got in. And then I quit all my other jobs Except for sometimes I do occasion. I still do all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah, it's constant. So when did you start your own endeavor with Do Good Press? I started that in August 2017. And I just wanted to be an owner of my own projects. Not that I wasn't that as much at K-Rock because I was able to do a lot of... I invited artists to do Fresh Prints. Yeah. Series that... You know, the artist gets a third of the edition. K-Rock sells the other two-thirds. And, and they were always doing cool stuff. Like, Carl's amazing. He's a huge hero of mine. But I really wanted to be an adult and have my own publishing platform and yeah. be independent. So, but not necessarily rely on myself to make enough money to live on, you know. So it's tough to be able to moonlight and compete with that shop expense kind of a problem. Yeah. I couldn't print films at work. I couldn't, you know, order certain things for myself. I didn't want to steal things. That's no good. But I was able to use the wood shop to have friends build stuff for me and then just like barter with them in order to make it functional to fit in the space I was moving into. And then, so there's also this uh, connection with the name, like mm. 
do get oppressed, it also comes from your family history. Yeah. Um, I know you've told me the story before, but do you mind saying it again? No, totally. So my grandfather uh, was a chemist, and he died in a few years ago, but... You know, he struggled his way up, and it was something that, you know, my dad wrote really well about, so I have trouble reciting it as well as he wrote it in yeah. a book form about his own father. So his father started Do Good Chemical Laboratory and Manufacturers in the 40s because he was not able to be a scientist and work as a technician in a lab, as a, as a researcher in other ways, unless he passed his white. So he was not willing to do that. And especially as a light-skinned male, he could pass for white if he wanted to, but that would be denying a lot of his past. So he was like, nah, I'm going to... Yeah. Or he could work in labs and sweep the floors and be a way overqualified janitor. So he was like, those are both terrible options. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, so he moved to St. Louis and was able to get teaching jobs for different black universities because they were segregated at the time still. And so he taught students at college level and he started his own laboratory where he paid cash for a building that used to be an animal hospital so he has oh all kinds of scrapping it up on his own like he just did so many things on his own without a ton of help except yeah. where he needed it so his brothers helped him build the animal stalls into lab situations and there's blowing glass in a, in a different area so that he could have test tubes in different ways that he needed them to be like he was a very ingenuitive person um, somewhat to a fault, but <laughs> and from my perspective, it was just a, a granddaughter ranting about the past. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he's so inspiring that I was like, if you did all of this in the forties, like you were like 35 at that point, like, well, I'm, I'm 30 almost by the time I was starting to get pressed. Yeah. Maybe more. I forget my age, but it, he did so many things by the time I was an adult and was gone by the time I'm learning all this stuff. So. I said, why not? I, I can risk it. And I actually used some of the inheritance money I got from him to buy the more expensive things I couldn't build. Yeah, uh, so that was a great leg up to be able to start my own business was through a legacy of his past. So that, was, that worked out really well. And my, my family is very proud of me, too. They tell me so. Well, so. they should be, yeah. I mean, it's, it's risky, though. It's very risky. <laughs> have, have you, like, calmed their nerves at all as you've been doing this now for, like, what, six, seven, five years? How no, long? it's been three years. Three years, okay. Of owning my own business. Yeah. But, mm, yeah, I think I just am kind of a reckless person, so everybody's always <laughs> nervous about me. <laughs> but I think it's a good thing. Yeah. They're proud. Yeah, well, they should be. Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you uh, selecting artists to work with for Do Good Press? Oh, I'm just always on a, on a prowl, you know. Yeah. And I have my certain galleries that I really like, but... It's also so many different friends of friends that, that people show me and I, I find on just Instagram sometimes. But a lot of the time I'll just be in a studio space or a gallery and talking to one person or a party even. And you meet yeah. friends of friends that are artists and do you know what their work looks like-ish through Instagram because of word of mouth. But you know, then you do a visit with them and you realize they're interested in doing prints and it's easier to work with people that don't know a lot about printmaking because then you can kind of blow their mind with all the <laughs> weird tricks you pull out of this and that place. Yeah. 
Uh, but you know, it, it's it's very networking. It's already it's already set up for me. I just have to keep going out, and I really like going out too. And I really like doing studio visits. So it's a it's an ever expanding field of people to work with. But a lot of the time, people that are already owners of different spaces and online platforms of selling artworks have in mind to do prints with people that sell out too fast of their paintings. So yeah. doing prints makes it more open for them to you know sell more make more all that and i don't have a very good mind for marketing much anymore because you know urban outfitters was fine but i'm over it <laughs> uh, i just don't like retail i don't want to uh, i just want to make stuff that's cool anyway these owners of these different galleries and spaces online or in real life uh know that i work well with artists one-on-one -on -one, and they send me people oh that's great and then they just pay for it that's wonderful. That's great. I tell them the numbers, you know, and work with the artist first, have conversations about what to expect, uh, because it's really important to, to talk with them about the different processes and do the small scale, take the time to do the small scale proof. Yeah. Um, but in different shops I've worked in, Alexander and Ricci, we did really large proofs, of course, naturally. It showed the artist. They said, yeah. fix this, that, and the other. Um, and that's fine, but it took as long to do the proof as it will to do the addition sometimes so it's yeah. i don't know one you can't third. Really afford that kind of time i just don't have it i just don't have it you know and it, and i'm because i'm working a nine to five day job at the same time yeah you know, 40 so hours a week do good presses that you're doing in the in the evenings now yep evenings and weekends but then and you know, your day job is also screen printing yes yeah which i love i love yeah. it i love it but it makes me faster at finding problems sometimes easier to collaborate with people because i'm always doing that yeah uh, some people are more to themselves and quiet and it's fine to be that way of course i'm like that when i'm not printing with anyone but to have a disruption of a person around can change your whole energy you know around the project you're trying to focus on so yeah i get both ways of working i just try to you know not upset people <laughs> existing when you're printing here in your studio, you're typically by yourself, right? Like the artist you're working with for the edition is not like hanging out over your shoulder while you're doing things. Sometimes they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the person. Sometimes they, I need them here sometimes just to swatch out colors, yeah. mix them themselves. Um, and, you know, as you know, sometimes layering that determines a lot. So to have the hiccup in time to say, okay, I printed all this. Do you like it or not like it? Or change this one thing that will affect the rest of all the other colors on top of it. You're like, oh, I wish you were just in my studio and I was trying to figure that out. Yeah. So sometimes people do come out and hang out while I print things for them. But there's certain, I mean, I have so many different rules that people can and cannot help me with various things. Uh, like for instance cleaning screens I do that all on my own I don't want people helping me clean screens yeah because it's such a weird setup it's easy to make an odd mess and kind of mess up everything is my yeah if you know your own system then it's easier to just kind of do it yourself exactly yeah it's mostly color help I need approvals with with people but yeah. working with it at powerhouse during the day has been a huge advantage in terms of knowing how that can be accommodated in different ways you know, because I'm just a servant to artists at work, and it's nice to be able to do that. But I can take that same conversation and bring it to my littler space and do the same thing with artists that maybe can't afford it. So it's nice to have various ways of working styles, like, in your back pocket. That actually leads to another question I had. Like, how do you see your role as, a, as like, the master printer in a project like this in relationship to the artists that you're working with? 
oh, the artist comes first. Yeah. I have opinions of different matters and like things I'll bring up when it's necessary. But if it's something where the artist is very strongly feeling a certain way about a certain thing that I maybe don't vibe with or care about as much, then maybe I won't invite them to be in my studio while I'm printing their thing. Yeah, yeah. There's certain like nicer <laughs> things that I do for people that I really like. And then there's other like formal things that I, I do for everyone. So there's various ways of working around people you, you whose work you do really like and whose work you can just like hit the print button in your head and go through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in some projects it's almost like you're a mechanic mm-hmm. as a master printer. And I've also worked with a bunch of artists to do things where you're really just trying to like figure out how to materialize the vision they have in their head and how to properly like, communicate that through ink and paper and yeah, yeah. And, and especially if they're going to go through the, the consuming way of doing it is, is screen printing. You know, you could easily digitally print stuff nowadays. Yeah. That looks just as good, if not better, than screen printing sometimes. Oh, no, it looks way worse. I think it looks worse. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, just let the ink sit on top of the page. I just want to see it be yeah. super saturated and more colorful and, like, intuitive than it can be if you're just letting a computer decide those things. Yeah. Uh, I agree 100%. Especially with finishes, <laughs> metallics, are we kidding? Like gloss. But it, like Elisa Morel, for instance, was very passionate about her color theory translating yeah. the way it did, but only because I showed her these different gradients that could cross in ways that would complement the style she was already working in. Um, so she took that knowledge that I, we shared you know, early on, and she did a print at K-Rock years ago, so... When Uprise was like, let's do an edition. I really want you to work with Eliza. Okay, bye. We're going to step over here. You guys just figure it out. Take yeah. as much time as you want. You know? So it was a really, it's a great pleasure to be able to work with such opinionated people, artists. Um, but it's, it's also like endlessly, there are so many options. Yeah. So having opinions about certain ways of working is the only way to get a, a print finished sometimes. And what's like the average timeline that you're working on for one of your auditions? It varies humongously. Anywhere between like, <laughs> I mean, you know how rush jobs could be. Sometimes you yeah. don't have any time. Uh, and I don't like doing textiles anymore. I just, I mean, I'll, I'll print a weird flag for a person, but yeah. no more t-shirts, no more tote bags. Don't ask me <laughs> to do it. I will sometimes, but I do not want to. Unless I'm teaching someone else. Yeah. But those were always the tightest turnaround things I've ever done where it's like, I need this tomorrow. Can you print 500 shirts for me? <laughs> That'll be easy. What do you mean? What are you doing? No, of course not. And I'm like, all right, hey, someone else, do you want to do this job? <laughs> uh, maybe do it, maybe don't. Not my problem. Yeah. Point in story, smallest timeline, usually about a week. <laughs> <laughs> less than that I can't accommodate yeah and sometimes it's a day you know it depends on if it's a Thursday they're asking me to do this or if it's a Tuesday I can't do it Tuesday yeah uh we can do this but then <laughs> you know longest time I think Connie's project has been the longest thing I've, I've worked on but that's my own publishing thing so we don't yeah. have an end until I say there's a release date um and that's been a couple of years now right you said I think so it's been more than a year uh, but for sure, we haven't been in printing process stages until that was the end of last year. We started printing it. Okay. Uh, so it hasn't been that long in production stages. But I mean, when a client asks me to print something, I'll try to make it happen. If it's not that complicated within a month, you know, between conversation stages and it's in your hand. 
uh, is a normal working time. Sometimes it takes two months. The project I did with Dominique Fong took some proofs of different styles uh, just yeah. in order for her to, to see the ways I could work with that type of print. It, her work is so painterly. It's very beautifully painterly, and it's very saturated in certain parts and, and very flat in others. So it was a tricky way to, to decide, like, do I do this in a very painterly style and show her, which I did. It took too much work on my part to be able to make it look like her painting more so than my translation of her painting. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my hand was in it too much and I knew it and I didn't like it either. But, you know, she was like, ah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm like, this is good. Well, we can do it. Have to. How about CMYK? Yeah. <laughs> so I made the smallest dot I could, you know, to make it like look more painterly. Yeah. This whole thing took probably four months. That was like a four month start to finish. Oh, wow. Maybe more kind of a process. But you know, when you don't have a deadline, you can just. They can play out a little bit. Keep going. Yeah. Which I love. But, you know, I also have so many other projects going at the same time. So people have a lot of staggered things going on in every day. And I always want to tell my clients, which I never do, but I always want to be like, you are not my only client. <laughs> this is really fun, but we have to finish it at some yeah, point some, there has to be an end point but I, I make friends with everyone that i work with too so it's hard to kick them out you know that's not yeah. a, that's not nice and this is like kind of a, a dumb question but part of what we were just talking about like trying to translate a painterly style and trying to really accommodate for someone else's work um kind of leads me to joining that with like do good as a name of course it comes from your, your last name but also you as a printer as a collaborator, like what does it mean for you to be doing good? I mean, I have to stay within, I'm a very stickler for the rules. Yeah. There are rules within journalism, there are rules within science, and they need to be upheld, uh, or else why do it at all? You know, yeah. why sell it for more money than just hitting print on a, on a printer, you know? But to do it with your hands, you have to have a moral code to not reprint editions to make yeah. a profit, that's stupid. Uh, it's, it's smart, but it's like, don't do it. Like you're you're going to wreck all the ones that are sold if you're going to reprint stuff that's gone. Yeah. It's just, uh, um, uh, having artist approvals along the way, like, don't just make shit up on your own and, and say, like, this is by that person, when it's like, I did all the work. Yeah. No, we don't do that. We isn't me. Um, I also, you know, there's just certain codes to uphold, uphold in printmaking. You don't sign other people's name, you don't, unless they're not around and give you permission to just print it. That's okay occasionally but you know numbers signing all those all those things with like finishing the the backs sometimes like i I'd go crazy because you have to yeah to make it last longer than you're gonna if if it's gonna be archival like i'll be dead by the time the it still looks the same i hope yeah. unless it's fluorescent that really doesn't translate but <laughs> i just try to make things last forever is my goal but if i'm gonna use my body to print it it's gonna have a lot of me in it in that way but you really have to make it somebody else's to to make it worth your time to print i don't know maybe that's why i don't do my own work anymore because i just don't find it worth it I, just, I would rather be working on other people's stuff for money more so than fucking around in my room yeah it's expensive to fuck around i'm not going to do that without somebody paying me to do it but you are still putting so much of yourself into the work like even just your own bodily locomotion i'm yeah. very opinionated yeah yeah yes bodily locomotions are like very infused throughout <laughs> like perfect edges square everything 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard not to be when you're a printmaker to have like standards and to really like live and die by those. Isn't it? Yeah. Some people don't care as much and I'm surprised, but you know, I try to cut ties with those that don't um, uphold the same standards that I, you know, need to. Standards in printmaking and also in friendship. Both, all yeah. and beyond. Yeah. But, you know, and that's what you get for just working in a lot of different places and, and somewhat for free, somewhat for money. But you see people's true selves when especially you're not getting paid to be there. Yeah. Especially. But I appreciate the, the time people take in order to teach me various things. So it's, it's never worth complaining about, but it's always just interesting. Let's just put it like that. It's interesting to, yeah. to see other people's standards um, but yeah, you know, that's just the way it is. That's just the world. But then you know that if you do uphold the actual standards within these various practices, uh, you'll be rewarded for it by it lasting longer than you will. Yeah. Time will tell. <laughs> um, so as we kind of like wrap things up, what are you like, what are you working on now that you're really excited about? Like what will be coming out maybe around the time this is actually published? Um, Nathan Schultz's edition, the Scarf edition, should be done, I hope, by then. Excellent. Connie Velasquez should be out and done. We're doing two editions with her. This one's finished, except for the gloss I showed you. Um, and I hope to be doing some book projects to maybe release in the fall. In and around the New York Art Book Fair, I can never get my shit together to try to apply, <laughs> which I also just don't want to. It's like, yeah, like walking around and meeting people more so than staying put. Yeah. But working at K-Rock, I had the best of both worlds. I, I had friends to stay put and I could wander and, and vice versa. So yeah, uh, I just love the book fair. It really is the best. It really is. So I try to use my whole year's worth of time, literally, <laughs> to release things around then. And the... You know, Christmas is an easy time to buy stuff. So my birthday's in November, so it's easy to like be like, okay, my birthday's a deadline, and then we're gonna be done with this. <laughs> I know it's only gonna be April when we're starting, but eh, I have some book projects. I keep meeting these interesting writers, so I really want to get more so into zines and like yeah, yeah. book binding a little bit, because this is a small space. It's, it really is a lot more accommodated for books, but. Uh, and wallpaper. I have some wallpaper projects. Oh, cool. There's just so many different ways to go about printmaking. But that's the great. It's the applications that are useful. Absolutely. And I hope to be doing some workshops in my backyard. Oh, cool. So I'd start up over like the summer? Yes. Yeah. And do you have a website where people might learn more about these workshops? It is on, will be on dogoodpress.com. That's D U hyphen, like dash, no, D U dash, good. <laughs> press.com it's my <laughs> website uh but i'm going to be posting that kind of thing on instagram i think as an advertisement tool but I, I have to do some experimental classes before i can really release it to uh people out there but i look yeah. forward to to seeing what becomes of this yeah this this is really exciting um but leslie thank you again for just bring me into your space and showing me your really wonderful studio setup let me peek at some work in progress uh, this is this has been really exciting thank you so much for coming i'm very excited to have you this is the first interview i've done